Good morning, church family. It's so good to be with you. Happy Sunday, and because we're only one week away, Merry Christmas. I hope you've been able to finish all of your Christmas shopping. Um, whether you're here today as a guest or whether you belong to this church, um, it's good to see you, and we're really glad that you're here. I'm thrilled to open the Word of God with you this morning, and so I invite you, whether you turn it on or open it up, to make your way to the book of Matthew. This morning we'll be camping out in Matthew chapter 1, looking specifically at verses 18 through 25. As you're turning there, uh, let's do a little bit of recap. Um, We've seen in this season of Advent that the church is to remember for the purpose of anticipating. We fix our hearts and our minds on the first coming of Jesus, remembering it, for the purpose of fixing our hearts and minds on anticipating his second advent. You see, what we have the joy and privilege of remembering was once eagerly anticipated by the people of God. A Messiah to come. A deliverer who would rescue the people of God who would rule and reign as king. This Messiah was anticipated, and this hope found its fulfillment in the birth of Christ. This hope found its fulfillment in the first coming, the first advent of Jesus, this baby, the word become flesh. This Jesus would live a perfect life, make his way to the cross, be crushed, bearing upon himself the iniquity of us all. He would die and yet not remain there. Three days later, he rose. He ascends to the right hand of the Father and promises that he's coming back. In this Advent season, what once was anticipated has now found its fulfillment in the first Advent of Jesus. Now you and I have the joy and the privilege of anticipating the return of this Jesus, the return of this resurrected King, that he will come and restore and make all things new, ruling and reigning as the good King that he is, that you and I will dwell with him as his people. That he will be our God and we will be his people for all of eternity. This is what we anticipate. This is what we long for. This is what we wait for. Pastor Mike showed us in the word in the first week that what we are to feel in this Advent season is longing for the King. That Jesus' followers long and wait and crave and yearn for this king and his coming kingdom. That the desires of our heart are solely set on this king, Jesus. Last week we saw what Jesus' followers are called to do in this Advent season. Jesus' followers wait for the king. This waiting is not characterized by passivity, It is very much active. There is something to do. We don't just kind of sit back and just wait and hang out until Jesus comes back. We wait expectantly. We wait patiently. We wait actively for this coming king. 
This week we'll dive into what we are to know as Jesus followers in this Advent season. You see, the space in the middle of Jesus' first coming and his second coming. I'll just refer to it as the in-between. In this in-between, there is something beautiful that should grip us, that we should be resolved to know. We'll look at that this morning in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, if you'll follow along with me. Matthew, under the inspiration and authority of the Holy Spirit, writes this. Verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we acknowledge that you alone are worthy of our trust. As we sing your word, as we pray your word, as we sit under your word, God, would you lead us to trust you more and more. Lord, would you be happy to answer that prayer? And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So in our time together, I want to answer this question. What is it in the in-between that Jesus' followers are to know? Our big truth for this morning is simply this. Jesus' followers trust the King. Jesus' followers trust the King. In our longing and in our waiting, we are to know this. We are to be convinced of this, resolved in this, and convicted in this knowledge that Jesus is worthy of our trust. Thus, Jesus' followers trust the king. We see in verse 18, Matthew tells us explicitly what this passage is about. It's concerning the birth of Jesus. He says in verse 18, if you look in the text, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. This is how it happened. This is what went down. This is how Jesus was born. And yet as we look at this account, what I want to note and what I want you to see is Joseph's trust in the king. I pray that in looking at Joseph's example, that you and I likewise are spurred on in trusting this king. Look again with me in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. 
When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is our first big idea in light of our big truth. Jesus' followers trust the king. Our big idea is this. Trust the king's perfect plan. Trust the king's perfect plan. In this account, we see that Joseph and Mary are betrothed. It's similar to engagement as we know of, but not the same. It's a bit more legally binding. They were legally bound in contract, not yet not married. They hadn't come together, and yet Mary is pregnant. This has been referred to as immaculate conception, this work of the Spirit, this conception, free from sin, perfect, unflawed, unstained. And yet, what is public and even perceived by Joseph is not perceived as such. It is very much marked or perceived by flaw, by scandal, by unfaithfulness. Clearly, from the text we see, this is not Joseph's plan. When he thought of the woman he would marry and how all of that would play out, he did not perceive that his wife would be found to be with a child. Your soon-to-be-married wife has a baby and it's not yours. That's not how you're supposed to write this up. It's not how things are supposed to go. It's not how you plan it. We see in the text that Joseph, though, was a just man. And with this in mind, he begins to contemplate and consider what he should do in light of this reality, in light of Mary's pregnancy. He fears the Lord. He trusts and seeks to walk with the Lord. He doesn't want to put Mary to shame publicly. And so he devises a plan and considers the option of divorcing her quietly or subtly, so as not to draw more attention and further shame upon Mary. Again, this is not how you write it up. This is not what you plan or dream of. While this may not be Joseph's plan, we see clearly that it is the king's perfect plan. Joseph and his plans encounter the king's perfect plan delivered through the word of the Lord by an angel. I think here we really see Psalm 16:9 taking place, how man plans his steps, and yet it is the Lord that establishes his steps. Joseph has a plan, and yet very much so, God is actively establishing his ways in Joseph's life. 
we see that taking place, that despite Joseph's expectations and circumstantial feelings, this is the king's plan for Joseph, that he would take Mary as his wife, that she would bear a son conceived from the Holy Spirit, and that his name would be called Jesus. This is the king's perfect plan for Joseph. As evidenced by the genealogy that precedes this text so, and so much more, God is actively working for the fulfillment of his promises. The promise and the hope of a coming Messiah. To Joseph, everything appears to be going wrong. It is all falling apart. And yet simultaneously, it's simply as the Lord planned. His perfect plan. Is taking place. This is direct fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy as we see Isaiah 7.14 referenced here. When it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Prophecy that God is actively bringing to fruition. So let me ask you this question in in light of all of this, in in light of all these unplanned events and circumstances. How do you respond when things don't go as you planned? What do you do when your reality falls short of all that you ever dreamed of? Much more. What do you do when the word of God conflicts with everything you ever wanted? From the life of Joseph, we see this. A heart that trusts the king's perfect plan is one that says yes to the word of God and the plans of God, even when it contrasts or contradicts with our own plans and our own hopes and our own dreams and aspirations. And reading the account of this prophecy and its fulfillment, there are two massive realities that I want you to see. There are two massive, unignorable realities about who God is that I want you to see, that I pray fuels your own trust in the King. As we see prophecy and fulfillment here in the text. The first massive reality that we see in this text is that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. That is, He works everything Everything according to the counsel of his will. God works everything according to the counsel of his will. That should fuel our trust in the king. We see this second massive reality in the text of prophecy fulfillment. In that God is good. He is perfect in all that he does. All of his ways are righteous. And so what we have here are two massive realities that are the foundation of our trust in who he is. He is sovereign and he is good. You and I, like Joseph, are naturally aversive to seasons and circumstances that are difficult and uncomfortable, that lean us to, that cause us to trust in Jesus more and more. We don't welcome difficulty. We don't welcome hardship in life. It is when you and I grow to prize trusting in Jesus as precious and valuable that we will then begin to welcome those seasons 
as they lead us more into the fullness of Christ and all that he is for us and all of his sovereign goodness. No matter the seasons you have experienced, are currently enduring, or will encounter, you can bank your life on the sovereign goodness of God by trusting in his perfect plan. Trust the king's perfect plan. Look again with me at verses 20 through 23. As he, Joseph, considered these things, behold, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Here's our second big idea this morning. Our first being, Jesus' followers trust the king's perfect plan. Second is this, trust the king with your doubts and fears. Trust the king with your doubts and fears. Joseph is clearly convicted, troubled, conflicted, doubting that he should even move forward in this relationship. Fearful to take Mary as his wife and afraid that he might bring further shame upon her. Doubt and fear truly have a grip on his life in this moment. On the surface, Joseph's fears and reservations don't even seem all that bad. More or less, it's even somewhat reasonable. In pursuing Mary in marriage, it seems reasonable, even within his rights to end the relationship, to terminate it, to call it off. Joseph's fears and his doubts are anticipating the very worst. Joseph's fears and doubts anticipate the very worst, and yet you have an angel of the Lord coming to him, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. The angel comes to him saying, do not fear, addressing the very thing that Joseph is fearful of, to take Mary as his wife. Why not be afraid? The the angel reveals to Joseph that Mary hasn't been unfaithful. This baby is not a result of her adultery. Rather, this baby is from the Spirit. Much more, he will save the people from from their sins. Joseph now will resolve either to remain in the grips and bondage of doubt and fear or he will trust the king with his doubts and fears as a response to the word of God to him. If he fails to take Mary as his wife, he rejects the word of God and diminishes God's sovereign goodness. If he says yes to the word of God, and the plans of God, he trusts the sovereign goodness of God even when his doubts and his fears tell him otherwise. What grips you? What has a hold in your life? What are the doubts and fears that consume you, that bind you? You know what those are? 
You know what they are. Trusting Jesus with your doubts and fears by fixing your heart and your mind on the person of Jesus is what the word calls us to. Look again at verse 21. She will bear a son. I want you to note as we look at this. Put your attention. Look for the names of Jesus and what they mean. And we'll connect how who Jesus is and what he does fuels our trust in him. Verse 21, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall, be bear, shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The first name that we see here is Jesus, meaning he will save his people from their sins. Names today don't really carry much weight or significance. Like, my name is Justin. There's nothing really cool about that. It doesn't mean a whole lot. That's just the name that my parents gave me. But Jesus is given the name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. He will rescue his people. This is what he does. This is what the name is referring to. It is referring to his action, to what he will accomplish, what he will do. He will accomplish salvation for his people. He is a deliverer, a rescuer, a savior. But what does this name tell us about him? As a deliverer, as a rescuer, as a savior? Is that he is for your good. He is for your good. Look at the second name that we see in verse 23. Emmanuel. Meaning God with us. With us. Not just, he's not uninvolved. He's not hiding. He's not distant. He's with us. Not just in proximity, but in knowability and relationship. He's with us. He's with you. Emmanuel. God with us. So what does that mean for your doubts and fears? Jesus, he will save people from their sins. And Emmanuel, God with us. Joseph's doubt and fear leads him to anticipate the worst. That's what they do. Doubt and fear will convince you of exposure, of crisis, of uncertainty. But convinced by the word of God, the Jesus follower trusts the king. And this trust does not anticipate crisis. It does not anticipate exposure. It does not anticipate the worst. This trust anticipates the king. Trust anticipates the king. Jesus' follower who trusts the king with their doubts and fears finds refuge in who God is and what he does. He saves. He is for your good. He is with you. Those who trust in God know the character of God. They know his faithfulness, his steadfast love, his patience, his grace, his forgiveness, his presence. That he is worthy of trust. The one who trusts the king knows the king. Doubt and fear have no place in the life of the Jesus follower in view of this king, the savior from sin, the God who is for us and the God who is with us. 
we have a better and a more trustworthy source of revelation than Joseph in this interaction with an angel. We have the word of God as a better source of revelation. And I pray that in looking at a few verses that you come to know the the promises of God. I want to just share a few verses that fuel my trust in him with my doubts and my fears. And I pray that they do the same for you. First Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Matthew 28 tells us, Jesus says, I will be with you always. Hebrews 4, 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us, and nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. 1 John 2, 1, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Second Corinthians 12, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Psalm 42, 5, why are you downcast, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Lastly, Revelation 2, 1, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. The reign of doubt and fear in my life and your life has no place in the presence of this king. A heart that trusts the king with its doubts and fears embraces the word made flesh and the written word as its refuge and strength. Trust the king with your, with your doubts and your fears. Lastly, Verses 24 through 25. Joseph has been considering all of this, contemplating what to do. The angel appears to him, reveals the word of God to him. Now we see this. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Our last big idea for this morning. Trust the king by obeying his word. Trust the king by obeying his word. The angel appears to Joseph in a dream. Now Joseph awakes. But how do you and I know that Joseph trusts the Lord here? What is the evidence of Joseph's trust? If we look at the text, we see in verse 24, when, when he awakes, then what? He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. He took his wife, the very thing he had not planned for himself. In fact, the very thing he was most fearful to do, he then awakes and does it. He obeys the word of God. 
He's trusting his king, the perfect plan, with his doubts and his fears, and now walking in obedience. Joseph trusted God by obeying his word. This is what trusting the king by obeying his word looks like. It looks like this. A heart that trusts the king by obeying his word puts into practice what is prescribed in Scripture. A heart that trusts the king by obeying his word puts into practice what is prescribed in Scripture. James 1.22 tells us, don't be hearers of the word, be doers of the word. In other words, put into practice that which you have heard. The Jesus follower who trusts the king is resolved and convinced to obey his word no matter what I plan, no matter what I doubt or fear, I trust the king. I trust who he is. I trust what he does. I trust his word. I trust his spirit. So I bank my life, all of it, on this king by walking in obedience to him. A heart that trusts the king by obeying his word puts into practice all that is prescribed in scripture. Loving him. Loving people. Abiding in him. Worshiping him. Making him known. Making disciples. A heart that trusts the king by obeying his word puts into practice what is prescribed in scripture. Not just hearers, but doers. What does obedience look like for you? We speak of next steps. The Lord has a next step for you. And as we trust him, he will lead us into fullness. That's what trust leads us to. The fullness of joy, the fullness of life that Christ has accomplished and paid for on the cross. Trust the king by obeying his word. I hope that the season of Advent has been fruitful for you. As you give yourself to remembering the first Advent of Jesus and anticipating his second. But you see, in order to remember, you must have knowledge of what has passed. And in order to anticipate, you must have knowledge of what is coming. To anticipate, you must have knowledge of what is coming. In the word of God, we receive both. Christ has come. Christ has died. Christ is risen and Christ will come again. And this is what Christmas tells us. That God is worthy of our trust. Just as for generations God was working to bring fulfillment to the coming of the promised Messiah, so even now, God is actively working to bring fulfillment to usher in his kingdom. And what gives us confidence in that? His character, his word, and his spirit. Jesus is coming back. He has proven himself. His word is true. His promises are sure. And he is always faithful, even when we are faithless. You can trust that he's coming back. Today, maybe you've seen the beauty of Christ and his sufficiency for the very first time. That he really is worthy of trust. 
that he made you, that he loves you, that he gave himself for you. He's inviting you into fullness by trusting in him today. Psalms 9.10 tells us, those who know your name put their trust in you. Get this, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. He won't forsake you. You can trust him. Put your trust in him. If you're a Jesus follower, trust his perfect plan. By saying yes to the word of God and the plans of God, when it contrasts and contradicts with your own plans and aspirations, Trust him with your doubts and fears, knowing that he is with you and for you, that he is Jesus and Emmanuel. Trust him by walking in obedience and putting into practice all that is prescribed in the word until the day that is inevitable. Jesus comes and makes all things new. Trust the king in your longing and in your waiting Trust the King. Let's pray. God, I, I pray according to your word and your spirit that you would lead us to trust you more and more. God, and in doing so, would we come to know the fullness and the, the value and how precious it is to trust such a God, such a King who is for us and with us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.